0: Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the 107th Psalm, the first verse. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, you also, Christian friends, who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. I realize it is rather dark and gloomy this morning, but I hope that all of you got your clocks set back one hour, some of you were very early for the eight o'clock service But it is good to be here and this is the day which God has made and I hope we are thankful that we have the privilege of worshiping him at this time. This Sunday in the Lutheran church is a red letter Sunday because it is known as Reformation Sunday. It was on October the 31st in the year 1517 that a young Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed to the castle door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, his famous 95 theses or statements. That will be this coming Tuesday, 455 years ago. And it's only natural for us to say, uh, what does the Reformation that happened back in the 16th century What does that have to do with us today, living in the 20th century? What does it all mean? We may even say, isn't it time that we buried very quietly the Reformation, that we went on to other things? Or we may say, are there some good things that have come to us and have come to the church because of that Protestant Reformation of the 16th century? If there have been some good things, what are they? May we then give thanks to God. The text that I read, the psalmist says this, we ought to give thanks to God for his goodness and for his mercy, for the goodnesses and the mercies and for the blessings that he has given us. If the Reformation then has given us goodnesses and blessings and mercies, then it is very neat and proper that you and I should thank and praise our God. I think it is very fitting on this Sunday that we think of the blessings that have come to us from the Reformation of the 16th century, that we stop for a moment and we count them, Let that we look at them living in the 20th century as sons and daughters of the Reformation, Let that we say to ourselves, do these blessings, do they give me comfort, do they give me assurance in my Christian life? And as we take time this morning to thank our God, for his goodness, for the blessings of the Reformation, let us look at them and let us count them. And first of all, we would list this, that the Reformation restored to us this blessing, the blessing of the scriptures alone, as the only authority in what you and I are to believe and how we are to live. May I say it was never the purpose of Martin Luther to start another church it was his purpose to reform the church that is to cleanse it to change it to let it go back to the christian church of the first century and very vital there was the question of what is authority in the church You and I want to be saved. You and I want to go to heaven. And we say to ourselves, what am I to believe? What is the last word and authority in what I am to believe? And that most faith of all questions in my life, what am I to do to be saved? And how am I to live to please God? Martin Luther turned to the Bible, to the Word of God, and found there the authority of the scriptures, that they were given by the Holy Spirit by inspiration of God, that the Spirit had given the word, that he superintended it, so that what men wrote was the word of God. And when Martin Luther stood at the Diet of Worms in Germany, it was my privilege to have been in Worms, and he stood before the emperor and before the church of his day, his appeal was this, Prove to me on the basis of the word of God that what I have said about what we are to believe and how we are to live is wrong. Then I will recant, then I will withdraw, but you must prove that I am wrong on the basis of the authority of the inerrant and the inspired and the infallible scriptures. But then it was you recall that he spoke those historic words in German. He said, Here stay it, he anders. God help him here, here I stand do otherwise god help me here is a blessing that again the authority in the church is not the decrees of councils and of conferences and not the statement of any titular head of the church but what does the word of god say this was the authority that was restored Because the written Word of God was the authority in all matters of what men were to believe and how they were to live in the very first century of the Christian church. And to you and me living in the 20th century, we may say, what comfort does that give? It gives you and me this comfort that there is one impregnable rock that you and I can stake our eternal destiny on, and that is the Word of God. What am I to believe in order to go to heaven? What does the word of God say? How am I to live to please God? It is not what men say. What does the Bible, the word of God say? This is comfort and this is assurance. No wonder then we ought to give thanks to God for that reformation, even though it took place in the 16th century, 455 years ago. It began on this coming Tuesday, October the 31st. As we count our blessings, we say, the reformation has also restored to us this blessing, the blessing that you and I have the right to go to the Word of God, to the scriptures, and to discover for ourselves what the scriptures say as regards what you and i are to believe and how we are to live this was so essential what about the bible what does the bible say who shall tell us do i have to depend upon the hearsay of someone else who tells me what the scriptures say Martin Luther says every man has the right to go to the Word of God, not to believe anything he wants to believe, God forbid, but to go and say, what do the Scriptures say? I want to find out for myself. This shall be decided not by what somebody else tells me. The Word of God says, I'm going to discover what do the Scriptures say. I have the right, and that's why in the Lutheran Church it's always been symbolic that we have the Bible open, which means this, that anybody has the right, and no man shall take it from him, restored in the Reformation. You go and look and find out for yourself. Don't believe what a preacher says just because he says it. Don't believe that what a conference of a church says that that's true just because the conference has said it. Don't believe that the president of the church, when he speaks, that that makes it true because he said it. That said this is the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? And you and I have the prerogative and the right to go to find out for ourselves. And that brings this comfort in the 20th century. No one can deceive you and me. No man can come and say, this is what the scriptures say. You and I have the right to go and to find out for ourselves. Reformation Sunday, do you bury it? Or are there reasons for giving thanks? It's well once in a while to stop and say, what are the blessings? What are the goodnesses? What are the mercies that God has given us by means of the Reformation? And as we count our blessings, the Reformation restored also this blessing, the blessing that it's by grace alone that God has provided the way to heaven and the way to salvation. If there was one thing that dog and Luther, it was this, how do you go to heaven? How are you saved? And when again he turned to the Word of God, he found, By grace are ye saved. You may say to me in this morning, Preacher, what does that mean? By grace is another word for love, but it's the favor of God. By grace are ye saved. Luther found the Christ of the Scriptures that he never knew before. He had been taught that there was the Christ who died for his original sin. The Christ that made atonement on Calvary for original sin, but never made atonement for man's sins and acts in his thinking and in his saying and in his doing. He had the thought that he had to be sort of his own Savior by his own life, that he had to be meritorious and to atone life and salvation for himself. But in the Word of God, he found that it was by grace alone in Christ. In simple language, that means this. That the entire way to heaven has been done by Jesus Christ on Calvary without any man offering one meritorious good work or one meritorious deed. It is a done religion. D O N E. The Reformation restored this. The grace means that everything that was necessary for the salvation of you and me and all men. Was done, bought, and paid for in the very sacrifice of God's Son Jesus Christ on the cross, and it was verified by His resurrection. It was grace alone. He went all the way, and He merited a 100% righteousness for every man, woman, and child who has ever lived or who will ever live. And you say, What comfort does that give me in the 20th century? It's this. It means that God hath provided salvation for you and me in its entirety as a gift, regardless of whom you and I are or what we are. There are some times in our lives when we can't look at ourselves, isn't that right? There are some times when we say, God didn't send Christ to be my savior, but look at my sins, I'm ashamed of myself. I am filled with guilt. I am filled with a sense of frustration and a sense of order. But let me assure you the Reformation bringing back the Christ of the Gospels, the Christ of grace assures you and me That the gift of salvation on calvary has been provided for you and me not one soul excluded regardless of how his sins may be stench in the nostrils of god this is comfort that it is never hopeless no wonder when reformation sunday comes even though it's 455 years old. We ought to say to ourselves, here is a day to thank and praise God, because look at the blessings if we just stop and we begin to count them. The Reformation also restored this, that it is by faith alone that the gift of salvation becomes yours and mine. Martin Luther wondered, what do you do to get this gift? You can't buy a gift. If you buy a gift, it's no longer a gift. Isn't that right? by grace are ye saved through faith and be found in the word of god the just shall live by faith the just the man that is forgiven the man that is forgiven and therefore lives forever he is forgiven and lives forever because of his faith in jesus christ and you must say what do you mean by faith preacher faith always includes repentance and sorrow It's the restoration of this truth that when you and I, sinner though we are, that we stand before Christ and tell him we're sorry that we have sinned. And when we put our faith in him, that is put our trust in him. And we say, Lord Jesus, I know that when you died on the cross, you died for me and you bore hell in my stead. When you died on the cross, you merited a perfect righteousness. For me, exclusively for me as for others, and you have promised to give it to me when I put my trust in you as my personal Savior. And let me tell you, when that was the restoration, what does it mean in the 20th century? It means this. It means that salvation is possible for you and me right now not 10 minutes from now man may say to me but look how i've sinned look at the things that i must do restitution for and you again if you're going to do any kind of restitution go ahead and do it but listen there isn't a person alive right now i don't care who he is but what life and salvation are open for him god saves us in our sins and out of our sins christ did it all we need your life and mine, and we can't even look at ourselves. And we are ashamed. We have a sense of guilt. We can't even forgive ourselves. I says, here is a gift of salvation that by grace I bought and paid for you on the cross and yet didn't contribute anything. I'll give it to you, and I'll save you, and I'll save you from hell, and I'll give you eternal life if you will just trust me and make me your Savior. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what you are. Whenever we reach up and I don't care how the sins may be and how they may be, again, stinking in the side of the world, Jesus says, here I put my trust because you have believed in me. You have put your trust in me. I give you eternal life. You and I may never be able to forgive ourselves. You and I may not feel we're saved. But let me assure you that when we put our trust in Christ, that salvation right now, that's what the Reformation means. Not a hundred years to prepare for it, not again to atone for our sins, but again it restored faith alone. We talk about our gifts and we say, there's you must be thankful for in the Reformation, why when we count our blessings, this also this blessing, that the Reformation restored the universal priesthood of believers. Martin Luther found in the Word of God where it says, that we are a royal priesthood. You may say, I wonder what that means. He had been taught that you couldn't go directly to Christ, that you had to go by an intermediary, by those who have died and gone to heaven, by some special saint because of their goodness, and that they had an inroad to Christ, and that you and I could not go directly. Something like in the Old Testament, When again the day of atonement would come, only the high priest could go in the holy holies. And only he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. He represented the people. The common people couldn't go in, but the New Testament, since Christ has come, said that we are a royal priesthood. That means you're a priest, and that means I'm a priest. That means this, that you and I can go directly to Jesus Christ as his child and to know that he hears us. And you know that he rejoices when you and i go and pray to him that he's no respecter of the persons that's arresting anybody on earth right now that jesus would rather hear come to him and pray to than you and to me and he hears with such delight as though you would die with the only one praying and yet that's the same thing with anybody We are a royal priesthood, we can go to him directly. And what comfort and strength, why, he says, I'm gladly hearing you, and I'll gladly answer you, and I will do that which is best, and I will do that because I delight in doing it. Sometimes you and I come into church and we're so overcast with burdens and troubles, we don't want to live. We say to ourselves, I can't stand tomorrow, and I want to pray, and I can't even tell him how I feel, but isn't it a wonderful thing? to know that you and I can go directly to him and say, Christ, I don't know how to put it in words. I am so full. All I do is groan. Then he says, but I know what you mean in that groan. I'll even hear a groan. I sat where you sat. I know what you mean. And oh, you're precious in my sight. I'll give you strength for the day. And I'll answer your prayer as though you were the only one ever praying. This is what it means when we count our blessings of the Reformation. We count our blessings this morning, and it also means this. The Reformation restored this blessing, the blessing of the parsonage. I wonder if you've ever thought of that. How about marriage for the clergy? Martin Luther was a single man. He turned to the word of God, what about this thing of marriage? Is there anything in the Word of God which is the only infallible inspired authority that we have? Is there anything in the Word of God that says that marriage shall be denied to the clergy and only to the laity? And Martin Luther, returning to the Word of God, found that marriage was the holiest day that God had performed the first marriage in the Garden of Eden. He united Adam and Eve, his husband and wife, before sin ever came into the world. It was to be a foretaste of heaven. And Martin Luther found that marriage was an honorable institution. There wasn't one in God's eternal word that said that some could not marry. And so again, eight years after the beginning of the Reformation, Martin Luther married. He married an ex nun. her name was Katarina von Bora, or Catherine von Bora. That again, he might have the joy of a bit of heaven, because man was not made to live alone. I wonder if we realize what it means, that there was the restoration of the person. Don't forget the apostle Peter was married. In the word of God, in the gospels, you read that Jesus visited his home in Capernaum, and his mother-in-law was very ill. You remember that Jesus healed her? He had a mother-in-law, he had a wife, didn't he? He was a marriage man. And that, in the word of God, celibacy is not denied the clergy. Here is a blessing of the parsonage, that marriage is the holiest state. If you do not accuse me of being politic, and at this time may I remind you that one of the aspirants to the presidency of the United States, George McGovern, happens to be the son of a minister. Do you realize if it hadn't been for the Reformation, normally speaking, he wouldn't live. He came out of a parsonage. This is the blessing, one of them, that we ought to count. That celibacy to the clergy is not something that is commanded in the word of God that a man may have that right to choose for himself in who's who in America, you will find that sons and daughters that have come out of parsonages rank very high, in fact, amongst the highest in who's who in America. The blessings that would have been lost were it not for the Reformation that restored again the blessing of the parsonage and that marriage is honorable in all things and that the couch is not defiled. We say, what are some of the blessings of the Reformation? Isn't it time that we buried it? Are there not some wonderful things about it, something for which to thank God? Do we not have some blessings? Does it not mean something to you and me as sons and daughters of the Reformation in the 20th century? Well, as we count our blessings, let's also know this, that the Reformation restored to us the blessing of teaching our children, training our children in the Word of God. Martin Luther was in Saxony in Germany. When he talked to the boys and girls in Saxony, he found that their ignorance of the word of God, of Jesus Christ, was abysmal. And yet Christ has said, teach all nations. When he realized the tremendous spiritual void that the children were neglected, Luther said to himself, what is there that every child ought to know? What is there that is absolutely essential for every child to be taught? And from the Word of God, Luther said, there are five chief things that a child ought to know. He ought to know the Ten Commandments. He ought to know the Apostles' Creed. And incidentally, if you ever get to Borms, Germany, and you get into the church that has been rebuilt there after the war, rebuilt there mostly by American money, emblazoned on the walls of that sanctuary in high-raised letters are Luther's matchless what does this mean of the explanations of the three articles of our Christian faith. How it's it doctrinal you know, Ich glaube, of course, it's in the German language. In about the first article I breathe that God has made me and all creatures, and then the matchless explanation of the second article, and in Jesus Christ as only Son of our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. And I believe that Jesus Christ, true God begotten of the Father from eternity and so forth. And the third article, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to Him. But the Holy Ghost has called me for the gospel, emblazoned on the walls. There they are. And what again in the Lutheran Church for 455 years? He took these five key parts, adding prayer, and then baptism, then the Lord's Supper, and he put them in a little book that he called the Catechism. And it was edited in 1529. He named it an Enchiridion. En means in, and Tyrus is the hand. A little pamphlet to put in the hand. And our boys and girls for over 400 years have been taught the five key parts. And may I say, in the 35 years that I have been your pastor, we have used one translation, and I've done it on purpose, so that... You mothers and fathers that I confirm, when I've got your kids in catechism, they memorize the 5 g part, they're saying it exactly in the same words that you learned. it. There's just something great about that, isn't there? That's the way you learned it, and we've kept it that way. A teaching church, why? That's again, we would train up our children in what they ought to believe and how they ought to live so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. It means something in this 20th century, doesn't it? We are a teaching church. We believe that every child has the right and the prerogative to be taught the Word of God. This is the prerogative and the command of Christ to the church, one of the blessings, one of the goodnesses, one of the mercies of the Reformation. I went on October the 31st, 1517. Those hammer blows, we are told, resounded around the world. We counted blessings this morning, and amongst the other blessings, as we peeled them off one by one, the Reformation restored to us the blessing of a singing church. How many of us realized that singing had gone out of the church of Luther's day? The congregation no longer sang. And so the congregations didn't know how to sing. Therefore, if there was to be singing and making melody, Luther decided that he would write some hymns and one that he has written that stands immortal, and it's known as the Battle Hymn of the Reformation, his famous am Festi Bork, his unto God, a mighty fortress is our God, based on the 46th Psalm that we will sing this morning, giving it in the hands of the people and saying, sing to the glory of God, even as our choir, I don't know how you like the anthem this morning, I liked it, with all the accompaniment that it had, but it was vivacious, it was lively, and it was also reverently done, wasn't it? Again, to sing to the glory of our God, we are known as the singing church. I wonder if you enjoy singing. Did you ever come into church and be down in the mouth and feel like, you, again, you wished to God that you were dead, and you wondered what was wrong, you thought your soul was slowly starving to death, If you pick up a hymn and you begin to sing to the glory of God, oh singing, it makes the heart glad to stop and say, thank God, a singing church, shall we forget it? When singing has been restored in some churches, they're learning how to sing because they've not known how. Oh, we say, what does the reformation of the 16th century mean for us in the 20th? why it means this blessing, that it restored this also, that our Christian life, that the Christian life is our way of thanking God for having saved us in Christ. The question comes up, if I am saved by the grace of God, if Christ has done it all, and I don't have to atone for my sins because he did it for me, and he did it so much better than I could ever do. Uh, What about my Christian life? What would be the motive? And again, here was the answer in the Reformation. Here is our way to say thank you to God. When you and I say, I want to live as a Christian should live, as a saved soul, here is the way to say, God, my life is a thank you, and in gratitude and in appreciation for having saved me and rescued me from hell, this is the least that I could do, I want to live. And while we fail every day, and we do so come short, isn't it wonderful to know that God graciously forgives us for Christ's sake? And he says, go on. And what does it mean in your life and mine that sometimes we say, is mine a living faith? Is mine the kind of a faith that is a saving faith? we can look at our lives. When we look at our lives, we say, well, it does measure up. At least I am trying to show my thankfulness to God that you and I can say, my life shows that my faith is living, and because my faith is living, I know it's a saving faith. It's my evidence along the Christian highway that I am a child of God. This is what it means, and we ought to be thankful as we look at the blessings of the Reformation heritage. Then as we name them one by one, then here is one again. The fact that Luther restored this, the Bible in the language of the people. About the time he lived, just prior to that time, there was a man named Johannes Gutenberg. Johannes Gutenberg was the man that invented printing of the movable type. And so books began to be printed. People didn't have copies of the Bible. The Old Testament was given to us originally in Hebrew, the New Testament given in Greek. But here were people in Germany who spoke German. They had no copies of scriptures in their own language. Therefore, Luther knew this, that it was necessary, it was imperative that God speak German, that God speak to the people in their own tongues. And while, again, he was in hiding when he was at Wartburg Castle, he and his cohorts They took the word of God and they translated it from the Hebrew and from the Greek into the German language. What a monumental and colossal task that was. When there wasn't a German word to express it, Luther coined one. It is said of him that he was also the father of the German language. He made God speak German. And the Bible came out in translation and printed that people could have again the scriptures in their own languages. When that thing started, look at us today in this 20th century. We are seeing something in the translation of scriptures that we've never seen men who are conscientious, men who are sincere, who are taking the Word of God and putting it into the language, the everyday language and the idiom that you and I speak, that we can understand it, and most of those translations are very excellent, so that we can say, here is the Word of God, I can read it, and what does it mean today? But as we use the Word of God, translate it in, So many different vernaculars in the English that you and I can understand him, that our faith will grow in Jesus Christ, and that each day our life will grow closer to him, whom to know is life eternal. These are the blessings of the Reformation. 455 years ago, Tuesday. And so here is the Lutheran Church, sons and daughters of the Reformation, 455 years later, how we ought to thank God that again in that movement there was restored to the church of Jesus Christ things that had been lost. We ought to be proud of that and yet be so careful. The Lutheran church today is the mother of Protestantism, the largest Protestant denomination in all the world. It is a church that constitutes almost 40% of the Protestants in the world. There are those that look at the Lutheran Church and say, but there's one thing. You're the only large church that you're named after a man. They say there's the Roman Catholic Church not named after a person. There's the Baptist Church or the Methodist Church or there is, again, the Presbyterian Church or the United Brethren Church or what you have. But here you're named after a man, a Luther. They say, why aren't you named after Christ? And may I say we had no choice in the matter, friend. That was a nickname that was given to us. And it stuck. We didn't name ourselves. But we loved that name, not that we are a follower of the man. He was a sinner like anybody else. He made mistakes. He needed a Christ. But when we call ourselves Lutheran, we mean this, that we stand for the things of the Reformation, the Word of God, Scripture, Scriptura, sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola fidei. These are the heritages uh, that we have. And then came the day of his death. What would he do when he faced death? And when, you know, he was born 1483 in Iceland in Germany. He died in the year 1546 in Iceland. He was only a man 63 years old, not very old. When he was on his deathbed, men said to him, Luther, you're going to face eternity and you're going to face your God. What are you going to believe in? And the man, again, if there was ever a man that wanted to go to heaven, it was Luther. A man that used to beat himself, a man that used to draw blood in his body and cry out to God in agony, have I done enough to be saved? Have I atoned? Have I crucified my body? Enough is it? Enough, God! And on his deathbed, there came peace, that he knew the grace of God, that he had found a Christ who is so marvelous and so wonderful that he did it all. He would say, I'm ready to face death because I know a Christ who was so big that on the cross he paid the bill in full and he has given it to me in exchange for believing in him. You and I are going to face death death sometime. When we face it, again there will come all manner of ideas and doubts and misgivings. So how am I going to face God? May we as sons and daughters of the Reformation know this. It's going to be all right when we know the Christ of the scriptures, Jesus who has said, I am the way. Then we don't have to be afraid. Then we will know that by grace he bought salvation for you and me and he gives it as a gift just in exchange for saying, I'm sorry, I trust you. Oh, as sons and daughters of the Reformation to walk the glory road and to look at our God as Luther looked at him and see how big he is. How great thou art, how great thou art, how great thou art. A God of grace, you did it all in Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping and unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting you. Mm-hmm.